put up the teaching. And it's called simply The New Creation in Christ. Norman's away for a couple of weeks, his holidays. Then he's coming back and he's going to magnitude with all the young folk and probably need about a month's holiday after that. But no, he's not taking it. So I'm doing the next three weeks. And we're going to do a study, The New Creation in Christ. Now, who can remember last week, our final hymn was a wonderful hymn by Charles Wesley called Love Divine or Love's Excelling. And in it, Wesley says, finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless, let us be. And I want us to think about this because it really is, I think, personally speaking, um, it's probably one of the most neglected teachings, I think, that you'll hear in church. That you, me, the church, is a new creation in Christ. Let me just read to you a passage before we go into study. In 2 Corinthians it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is, or she is, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I want to explore that over the next three weeks and to try and understand why it's called the new creation, what God has been doing in it. Um, on a personal note, I, I just now find over the last five years it's been an area that I've continually been drawn to. What does it mean to be a new creation? What does it mean to live new creation lifestyle? What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit, Jesus, living in you. What does that really mean as a Christian? And, and all this is all part of trying to answer there. So, one of the things we're going to do this morning is to try and understand something called Revelation. Not the book of Revelation, but rather, what does it mean when we talk about revelation. But before I do that, let me just show you some images that probably captures modern day life, right? Um, everybody has a front. Yes? Please communicate with me. Just nod, smile, say I agree with you with my your eyes. Whatever you do, agree. Everybody has a front. And modern life has a front. But I think that's where lots of people are at the moment. It's a tightrope. And uh, people are balanced. It's a very, very strange time where there's a balancing going on. Many people, their, their dreams, how they thought life would turn out, just has all simply gone by the board. If there was a, a, an email for a man or a woman, I think now it would be probably a man at goingnowherefast.com or womangoingnowherefast.com and not only that if there were other things there I think we're dealing as well now with an incredible you can only call it loneliness but it's acute and, and you know I always used to say many many years ago if people 
who came out of very solid backgrounds in their 70s and 80s were struggling with loneliness. My goodness, how is a generation that I belong to or just behind me going to cope with loneliness? Because a lot of the relationships are fractured and everything. And so there's a painful wound of loneliness, I think, in our society. And then there's a hypnotic spell of possessions. Everybody, the solution is buy stuff and you'll be all right. And we live in a time where do people rationalize or do we believe rational lies? Like, if you ask a politician now, what is a woman? It's very hard to pin them down. Right? My granny knew what a woman was. She kept telling me. Every time she smacked me over the head when I went haywire. We're in a funny, funny period. But I think modern life's just a bit of a time bomb. And that's not, it's not an accident. But there's humor here. Modern life is, see if you read that, is that not summarizing modern life? Yes. Yes, is it? Yeah. For those kind of, geez, grandma, it's not that hard. Go to settings, select Wi-Fi, select it, tap it with your finger, any finger. Is that how it is now? Yeah. I, was, I saw that beginning with my mum-in-law who was in her 80s and my young son was busy trying to show her how to work a video recorder and it's just got worse and worse. But probably this captures a lot of modern day life as well, yes? When I was young, I was scared of the dark. Now, when I see my electricity bill, I'm scared of the light. Yes? So, I give everybody their due. They, you know, even though life can be falling apart, there's something about human being that you either laugh or cry. And, and we are in a place now where a lot of the, the laughter is really a laughter just simply trying to cope with life. And in the church, we have our own kind of change things, yes. That's how, it's, that's how it's going in the church now, yes. Your pastor, senior pastor, reverse roles, etc. What am I just trying to say? We're at a strange time now in, in our history. Theoretically, your fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, mothers thought that if you ever reached a time or period like this, life would be absolutely fantastic. If I could have told my granny that I could be down and, as I do, to babysit, go down to somewhere like Larks and, and look after kids and come back for the day, then she'd be mesmerized. That's just absolutely fantastic. If I knew she could get a dishwashers, washing machines, you didn't have to go to the equivalent of the steamy, all that. Life would have been seen as marvelous. We're living it, and yet life isn't, is it? No? Things are just going to bad to worse. Well, anyway, what I want to do is actually talk about this interaction. If there was such a being as God, right, if there's such a being as God, how would he relate to the world? 
That's a question. And the biblical answer is this. God comes to where we are. That's important. And as we go through our study today, I want you to grasp this, right? That the essence of Christianity is not that we go up to God, but that God comes to us. That's a fundamental basis, foundational truth of Christianity. And it's not to forget that. Well, we have this thing, and you'll see it here. We have, how does revelation work? God acts, then there's revelation, and then there's reflection, and then there's writing. So when we come to something like the Bible, and we say that the Bible is revelation, what we're talking about is that God acts. People, what's happening here, right? There's revelation, and then there's reflection, and then there's writing it down. Now, this is important. As I often say, if you met a Muslim with a Quran, he would say, the Quran didn't come that way. The Quran came because Muhammad was, was in a place where an angel just dictated everything to him. There was none of this kind of messiness of everyday life going on. If you met a Mormon who had the Book of Mormon and said, no, he would tell you it's the same thing. A man called Joseph Smith interpreted it through having these kind of stones, etc., Urim and Thummim, and, and these plates were revealed to him and he translated them, and you have the Book of Mormon. Now, the Bible doesn't come to us that way. And this is important. The Bible comes to us through God acting, through people getting, wow, what's going on here? Then reflecting, and then writing. That's incredibly important to understand that. So revelation always comes in the, the muckiness of life. It doesn't come in somebody in an ivory tower getting some words from God, but it, it's formed in the messiness of life. And that's why, you see, why can we say, how can a book that's really stretches thousands of years be relevant to you, be relevant to me? The answer is very simple because it came into the reality that we live in, okay, with all the emotions, all the feelings of human beings, God coming and God speaking and God revealing himself to us. And that's important if we're going to try and understand what does it mean to be a new creation in Christ? Right? The, what we know from the book of Timothy that it says that God breathed right into the scriptures and that. But it comes out of this experience of God acting. Now, uh, way back at the beginning of your Bible, you have a whole lot of books called the books of Moses. And I want you to ask yourself two questions, right? Why did God choose a man called Moses? Right? And Moses, we know through reading the book of Exodus, were up, he was with God for 40 days and 40 nights. What was he doing? Well, one of the things that we find 
is that God spoke to Moses and gave Moses what we call revelation. Now, why did he choose Moses and not some ordinary Hebrew guy? Now, what happened was the people of Israel were in bondage. There was a pharaoh. They were building the pyramids, etc. If you've seen the Ten Commandments with Charles Heston, oh, Philip, I know, but they're all there. What happens is that God calls Moses to be the person who delivers Israel out of the hands of the Egyptians. But one is, why did he call Moses? If you know the story of Moses, Moses was meant to be killed. His mother just secreted him away, put him in, in the river, and he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter. And what happened? Moses grows up as an Egyptian prince. Now, why did God choose Moses rather than some other devout thing? Well, we know from the book of Hebrews that Moses turns his back on the treasures of Egypt. And that meant that Moses received a first-class education in every kind of thing going on in the known world at the time. The apostle Paul, you know, who wrote a lot of the books in the Bible, he was an incredibly gifted, brilliant young Hebrew scholar. Why did God choose him rather than just another fisherman? It's because Paul understood all the cultural issues of his time. And that meant when the Holy Spirit spoke to him, revelation, he could begin to form it all in, in, in ways that could make the Christian gospel understandable and relevant to people. Well, for Moses, it was the same thing. And God speaks to him. He's a 40 days up in the mountain. And he speaks to him. And he essentially tells him about Eden, about garden, etc. And the thing that I want us to dwell on now is that the important thing is there are two trees. There's a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in the story of Genesis, what happens is there's a temptation. And the temptation goes like this. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? God had given them explicit instructions. Do all this, but don't touch that. Right? Do all this, don't touch that. If you've got children, what do you say? You can do all that, but don't touch that. What did they touch? Big problem. Anyway, Satan comes and tempts him. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, we're going to come back to this in our other study to show what is really the essence of what's going on inside of, inside of us, captured by that. The tree of life, tree of knowledge, what happens is they eat the tree of knowledge and there are consequences. It creates what we call a dualism. And a dualism means simply when 
when, when there's a separation going on. Remember, God is one. Here, O Israel, your Lord, your God is one. Jesus talks about making everything oneness. When Jesus died, resurrected, and Jesus comes to his church, and, and Paul has this revelation, everything's going to be summed up in a oneness. But you see, the eating of the fruit of good and evil creates dualism. And that means that there's a separation from God. But not only that, there's a separation from ourselves, within ourselves. Who am I? What am I? You know, I, I always remember when I first, I, I, because I was brought up, where I was brought up, we never actually asked great questions about, um, you know, the meaning of life and what we were. We just had to get on with it. I often, I remember once saying to somebody, the 60s were swing, swimming, swinging rather, not swimming, swinging. But the bottom line for a lot of people like myself, we had to go to our bed because we had to get up about five in the morning to go to our work. <laughs> True. Lots of people never... Sixes may have been swinging for some folk, but for a vast majority of people, you just had to get up, go to your work, get money to survive, and then go out at night, get back, go to your bed, and so the, the whole thing went on. And when I first went to university, I met all these folk who were looking for themselves. And I found it right, what are they looking for? Good Ruth, you're standing in front of me. But it was a time in the 70s when people were looking within them. And, and it's as though if you look deeper, you're going to find this, this lovely little piece of gold. And that's you. And you've got to be really... But the more and more I watch people who are busy trying to find themselves, the more lost they became. The finding, and you end up losing and so people are separate from themselves. But not only that, there was a separation from others. And not only that, there's a separation from creation. That's what this tree, what God's trying to say, that humanity is eating the fruit of a tree of good and evil. And what happens, it doesn't matter how much good you try to do. It's a tree of good and evil. And you start looking for the source in other places rather than God. And what happens is that for human beings, how do we solve separation from God? Well, religion. Religion is a man-made solution that human beings do. Every human being worships in one form or another. That's a solution to dealing with the separation from God. And it's all sincere, and there's nothing tragic about it, and, but, but according, and we're going to see to the Scriptures, that's not going to solve the, the, the separation problem. And when we come to ourselves, and I've just put in here um, psychology, but I mean all the counselling stuff and everything, 
people are trying to solve the problem of separation. What is it? Why do you think we have a mega, mega problem now with, with ideas of gender? Remember, listening to somebody, they reckon there's 78 types of gender within a human being. That's because of separation. And, you know, we're, we're very much into the, the health kind of idea. You know, that people, people who, well, let me give you an example. When a guy called Campbell went to a school in, in, in Dunblane and killed the children, I was always thankful that the headmaster the next day began his statement by saying, evil visited our school. He did not use the medical language. There was a person who, you know, had health issues and that, but actually used the word evil. And one of the great problems now, is we try to see everything in medical terms, but remember it's the fruit of good and evil. And that means even though a human being can have incredible good potential and does good things, everything, there's still that area of their lives where they touch the rawness. And that's why for many people, you know, I used to get so fed up over years and years talking to Christians who, who knew the gospel intellectually but who could not get beyond hating themselves. Right? They could not get beyond that. How can God possibly love me if, and they would rattle off categories of their thinking and that. That's because of good and evil. They're eating fruit here. And what we're going to try and see, there's another tree that wants to bring different fruit into our lives. And that's incredibly important. But it's not to demean religion. Religion has brought great benefits, but it's also brought great evil. True? Re psychology and all the kinds of, has brought great benefits, but it can also have a downside. And it's to understand the likes of that. Separation from others, that becomes all political. We have great movements, all seeking to bring humanity together. In the end, communism, lovely idea, but it's a fruit of good and evil. And for all the good, we all know the evil side of it. In every political system, there's always good and evil. And human beings have to wrestle in this model with it. And separation from creation. When I was younger, the standard joke, you see a man with a sandwich board, remember it? Repent for the end of the world is nigh. Yes. Have you noticed they're still doing it? There's no longer a sandwich board. It's just stop oil. And it's the same message. If you don't change, the world's going to come to an end. It's phenomenal. See if you sit back and you actually read all this and look at it all. 
And, and you just see everything becomes religious in one sense. The whole climate thing. Now, don't get me wrong. That, you know, Christians have to be involved in our climate agenda and everything. And Christians have to belong, be involved in the political systems and that. And Christians have to be involved in the kinds of... And we have to be involved in religious activity. But for the Christian, it's to understand that that is simply the fruit. According to a revelation given to a man called Moses, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years ago, that's the revelation that humanity is eating from a fruit that's always going to create this, I'm not going to call it a mess, because it's not just a mess, but to create this scenario, this situation. In a, a, a book in the Bible, Jeremiah chapter 2, the prophet said this, for my people have committed two evils. Now, he doesn't use the picture, the images of trees. He's going to use the whole picture now of water. But it's the same picture, same idea that, that's trying to be conveyed here. Jeremiah spoke to a people that were involved in cheating. Every, you know, it was a typical debauched situation. Right? He could have categorized about 50 sins that the nation was involved in. But according to him, as he heard from God, there was only two sins that the people committed. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Tree of life, tree of good and evil, here's a different picture. It's the same idea. God is a source of life, water. But people have created their own cisterns their own reservoirs. And out of that, they are now living and teaching and understanding. And, and that's basically what all this is. For Moses, the revelation was a tree of good and evil. For Jeremiah, people just create their own systems. And they just feed out of that. And the problem with feeding out of that is the water's not fresh. The water's not living. And the water ultimately becomes stale. And when it becomes stale, it becomes putrid. And when it becomes putrid, it becomes diseased. And that's what happened, according to Jeremiah, to the people in Jerusalem at the time as he prophesied. They're taken out of their own systems. And... and that's why they're committing this and doing this and doing that. And if you can grasp that as a Christian, you can see how, how God has a view of humanity that is very unlike mine or yours. He doesn't see us as worthless, useless, etc., etc. He sees us just as ordinary people trying to make sense of life by eating from a fruit from a tree that ultimately is destructive. He doesn't see you as worthless, as, as useless, as, as terrible. He 
He sees you as a person who's drinking out of a system that you've created yourself. And you're living out of that. And that's your problem. And, and so for, for the Christian, we understand that revelation. And that is what basically is what we call the old creation. The old creation is simply something where the source is a tree of life, the tree of good and evil, or a tree or the system that's full of water that's not living. And between these two things, as where most human beings are, I've been there, and I'm sure most of us feel sometimes we've been there, you're running about and you're going through life and it's just the same. It's repetitive. It's doing the same thing. The same thing. And it's, you know what it is? it's fulfilling Einstein's famous quote that lots of people say. And that is, you know, you keep doing the same thing over and over again and the height of madness is believing that you'll get a different result. You do the same thing again and again and again, expecting a different result. But in the end, it's the same. And what we've now achieved or, or come now to in our society, we've reached a stage, I think, where people are just going, well, what's it all about? What is it all about? Now, that question wasn't really asked so much um, 20, 30 years ago because everybody felt we're all, you know, economy's growing, everything's growing, all this is happening. So people get caught up in that. But everything's grinding to a halt now. And not just with us, this is happening, I think, worldwide. We know there's different alignments, political geographical alignments going on throughout the whole world. People are beginning to say, what is it really all about? And what's it all about is we've eaten a fruit. And the tragedy is, the great tragedy, is when the Christians participate in the same thing. When they don't have to. Right? Because you see, one of the things we find in the, the Bible, if I can get this to come, there it is there is that Ecclesiastes 2.11 says, and when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. That should be one of the basis of understanding as a Christian. And it's not to stand in judgment Right, and that's where so many Christians have, and that's why, that's why we're not witnessing a flow of God's Spirit in the nation, because the Christian church has tended to stand at its side, and, and rather than pray and seek God to change all this, we stand in judgment, because we know everything's meaningless out with God, but we can't stand in judgment there. And see, throughout the Old Testament, you'll find that God breaks in. And even though the people are busy trying to make sense of everything, he breaks in with promises. 
And this is a promise. This was really something that was very powerful in my own life. God said through the prophet, this is what he wanted to do, right? He wanted people back to the source. And the source would be himself as living water, but also the source would be, to use the tree picture, the tree of life. God wanted his people to eat from a tree. And that tree was himself. Jesus is going to further that. Remember what Jesus said? I am the... Somebody shout it. I am the vine. You are the branches. If anybody remains in me, then they'll bear much fruit. There's going to be this, this whole connection together here. And so... Ezekiel said this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Right, wow. That's what we all want, isn't it? A sense of cleanness. Eating the fruit of the tree of good and evil creates a, a sense of unworthiness, dirtiness in us. God says, you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And notice this. I will put my spirit where? Within you. And notice what it's going to do. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The tree of life, or in Jeremiah's pictures, this fountain which is of God himself. God said essentially, I don't want you to eat of the fruit of the tree of, of good and evil. That's only going to cause this, this dualism, this separation. I want you to eat of the tree of life that will bring a oneness into your life. A oneness with him, a oneness with yourself, a oneness with other people, a oneness in your nation, huh? and a oneness with creation. Remember the old hymn, was it heaven above is softer blue, heaven below is sweeter green, something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. That was an old hymn. And what it said was when you become a Christian, when you allow God truly to form you, you start seeing nature totally different. And so God promises that. And here's the thing. The cross becomes God's decisive move. And if you think of it, God gave the pictures to begin with of trees, tree of life, tree of good and evil. Suddenly everything is going to converge on a tree. And the tree is going to be on a hill called Calvary. And on that tree, Jesus is going to die. And on that tree... Jesus is going to experience separation. Because what does Jesus pray? 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is going to enter into the fruit of the tree of good and evil. And one of the outcomes God said about that tree was if you take it, then everything's going to fall apart. And when he pronounces a curse, he says one of the signs of the curse is you're going to work and your ground's going to produce thorns. That's going to be a sign that you're away from the living water. What does Jesus wear on his head? What does he wear? Crown of thorns. And, and it's to understand that all this comes throughout the history, throughout the working, it comes to the point where a man goes to a cross. We're going to see it's the breaking of the lie. We'll look at the, the, the components of the lie that, 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 that we find in Genesis and see how Jesus did the exact opposite. But Jesus is going to die on the cross to deal with the fruit of good and evil. And he's going to die on the cross to deal with the system that people have created. And here's this thing where it's death, where it's bloody, where it's everything. And suddenly, that is going to be the source of life. The place of death becomes the beginning of the source of life. And at that point, there is now a new choice. <laughs> it's a different tree. But it's a tree of life. And it's a water of life. And it's a cross. And that's the whole meaning. That's why we'll see next week why the cross has to happen. Why, why God just can't say, oh, everything's hunky-dory. Why somebody has to come and enter into the fruit of the tree of good and evil and enter into that fruit so that life might come forth. That's the good news. Isn't that great? Yes. Please, isn't that great? That's good news. That is really, really good news. And the bottom line, you and I can do very little other than simply say, yes. Let's pray together. Father, your great desire is that we eat of the fruit of the tree of life. Your great desire is that we drink of the water of life that you give. Your great desire is that we become the people that you have ordained us to be. And so today we thank you for that. We want to pray for each other now. I want to pray for a person on our right. Father, we ask now 
that they will truly be touched and we bless them now, Father. And the person on our left, Father, draw them deeper and let them truly be participators of this fruit, the fruit of life that you want to give us. So, Father, as we go this week, we do ask that you will interact with us now, that you will begin to speak to us and you'll begin to reveal things to us. And in that revelation, we might in many ways become truly new creations in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.